Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> this is the podcast where we talk about all things therapists, therapy-related, therapist communities. And we are talking about the ways that we treat each other. And a lot of this happens in the online groups. You know who you are. And <laughs> but do they? I, I think they do. Well, helping <laughs> us here in this conversation today, coming back to the show, our good friend Katie Reed. So before oh, we hello. before we start shaming the shamers. <laughs> For shame! Tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself and what you're bringing into the world. Oh, hi, I'm Katie Reed. Thank you for having me back. I've missed you guys. We haven't been around here for a while. I it's know. It's fun to be back. Although I did get to see you in person at the Yay. conference recently, which was amazing. So anyway, you can find me over at sixfigureflagship.com. I do one of the things that plenty of therapists like to shame which is encouraging therapists who are creative, who have that little spark that maybe someday they want to outgrow the therapist office. I, whispering under my hand here, I help them do that, <laughs> lest all the shamers jump out at us. That's what I do. But I have, like you, been very active in therapist groups over the last couple of years and been often just shocked by the level of shaming that can happen in these groups. And it's so funny. I don't know about you guys. I've told this to other people, non-therapists, like neighbors, friends, just being like, yeah, it's amazing. Those groups, people are astounded to hear that therapists would shame one another. Like it would never occur to them that therapists would be, because they think of us all as being nice and wonderful and accepting and loving and caring and empathic and all of these things. And I know we all three have had conversations in the background, like, why does that fall apart on the internet? And I really do think it's just on the internet. It's not in person. It's just on the internet, but on the internet and therapist groups. So not that I have any grand answers for this, but I'm super interested in this conversation today. We've talked about this in some ways before, and we'll link to those episodes in the show notes uh, that we've got a therapist haters and trolls, and and there's a couple others. I'll, I'll look at them uh, when I'm getting ready to put this together. But to me, I, I think the biggest thing that I see that, that has always been shocking to me is the, the piling on that happens, yeah. that someone puts something out there, it becomes given that that is 
wrong and bad and somebody has an opinion that this is wrong and bad and then there's the defenders but then there are the piler honors is that a, is that a word the people that <laughs> that then co-sign on this negative information and then all of a sudden it's like the snowball effect and there's like yeah. hundreds of comments and you are horrible and and all of this stuff and i think that there mm -hmm. is an element of this that i think we do want to call people out when they're doing things that are harmful i think mm -hmm. the the criteria for what is harmful sometimes feels a little bit uh wiggly to me I kind of started looking at this more from just kind of a, an academic approach. And what sparked this for me was an article in The Atlantic called The New Puritans by Anne Applebaum. And it's, it's an incredible article. We'll link to it in the show notes. But it starts to talk about the illiberal left, which many therapists politically identify in kind of this political compass of the left side. And what happens in echo chambers like therapist groups is that it becomes many people coming with the desire for positive social change and social mores are changing that uh, we've seen this happen not only in society, but in our field over the last 20 years. But what happens seemingly is we're developing this, this collective identity in these groups that becomes part of our own identities and seeing other people acting even slightly different than how we would act ends up becoming almost this harm to our own self-identity that needs to be processed and spoken out against when it comes to things like, hey, I want to raise my fees on my clients by $5 per session. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I find this one absolutely fascinating because I, I I don't think I've ever seen a post go by in a group where a therapist has said, hey, I'm thinking about raising my fees and have not gotten at least some very heavy negativity thrown their way, which is so fascinating to me. Because if you step back and you look at any career on earth, we assume about every human being in the world that you will always be on a quest to kind of step up to the next level in your career, step up to the next level in your income. This is understood. If anyone tells you they've gotten a raise, they've gotten a promotion, you say, congrats, that's great. And yep. yet when therapists who are self-employed, who have only themselves to answer to, they are their own bosses. And when they say it's time for my yearly raise and I have earned my yearly raise this year and they attempt to give it to themselves, what do the therapists communities often do jump in with really crazy stuff, really crazy. Oh, I, I don't know. I didn't get into this career to make money. I couldn't imagine putting my clients under that kind of strain, just really, really deeply shaming words coming at them. And I find it fascinating. And, you know, and I'm not exactly sure where it comes from, but it's interesting because in prepping for this podcast, I was thinking about my early days as an intern. And, and I do wonder probably at least for me, this was part of it. I spent many years, even before I went to grad school, I was doing social work type roles in very, very, very impoverished areas. And then during grad school, I was working with foster kids. And then after grad school, I was an on the street social worker in inner city Oakland with teenagers and young adults, most of whom were homeless or they were sex workers or drug addicts, gang members, like all terrible, really difficult lives, right? Like really terrible life situations. And I was dead broke 
That job paid next to nothing. It was an internship job. And in a way, coming home to my crappy apartment where people got mugged right outside in broad daylight and eating my ramen noodles because that was all I could afford, I didn't have to feel so guilty going into work the next day. Because my life was certainly better than my clients' lives were at that time, but it was still rough. Like things were still rough at my end. And I wonder if, I remember at the time, I would say to people, I would say, this is the hardest work you can imagine doing, but if you can do it, you just have to do it because uh, these people just need the help and they need the support and they need people on the street. And I had this very grand idea of what it was to be an on-the-street social worker doing that kind of work and, and staying poor for it. And oh, it took me a long, long time to realize that I had to put the air mask on myself first, you know, like on yeah. the plane. Like it took me a very long time to come to that change. But I wonder if some part of that for a lot of us does start, because I think many of us do start in those types of jobs, those types of internships where you're seeing such poverty, you're seeing such difficult lives, and you do feel a guilt around that. Well, even in your story here, part of what I'm hearing is you led that off with, this is unique to therapists. So you're already framing this as part of therapist identity mm. means that you have to do these certain things. L look at the mm. shame that we put on people who go straight from grad school into like private practice. Like yeah. they, they are bypassing part of that identity. And you know, the echoes of, of the, the criticisms is, well, that's such a privileged place to come from that you didn't have to go through this with all of these other clients. And a big part of that is in this identity becomes this thing called socially prescribed perfectionism, that you must mm. do this because what you're doing reflects on me. And in combination with socially prescribed perfectionism comes this self-imposed perfectionism, that I yeah, must act yeah, this way. Yeah. And if other people whose identities reflects on the same way as mine, and that's not how I see myself doing, I have to deal with that internal conflict. And it's much easier to tear you down than mm -hmm. it is for me to wrestle with, all right, you do you and I'll do me and we'll both potentially help out the people that we're best suited to help out with. Hmm. That's so interesting. And it's so true. And I wonder, it's so like, I'm thinking about the people who I did know from grad school, who came from different backgrounds, who did go straight into private practice and whatnot. And you do wonder, do they feel any of that guilt? Do they carry any of that with them? Does that bounce off of them? That they're like, what? I was doing exactly what you just said, Kurt, like what I was meant to do. I was helping the people I was meant to help. This is where I'm well suited. It's just interesting. Well, and it's it's something where this idea of perfectionism, what what resonated for me was this it's it's very thinly defined. And not only have I heard the the negative backlash around charging a high fee and 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 I don't know necessarily that I've seen a lot of the negative feedback with I'm raising my fee by five dollars next year, but it's anybody that has a premium fee gets roasted. And anyone that talks about charging very little or being on insurance panels also gets roasted because you're undervaluing the profession. You're, mm. you're making it harder for me to make money. And so there's this really fine line of what's acceptable. Acceptable. Huh. And so this, this perfectionism around, I can't, I can't make too much, but I also can't charge too little. It just, it feels very crazy making. And I think this, this notion of we're trying to val validate our own 
identity through making everyone else be like us or like what the the collective has decided is okay feels kind of scary. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Uh, and the extension of this goes beyond just, you know, the parent comments in some of these, these groups that there, there becomes almost this effort to cancel people across multiple posts that there seems to be so little room for error. And especially in, like I said, social mores changing of, you know, a lot of the things that I see is, you know, not doing the emotional work or not doing the education work for other therapists who are potentially asking questions around things like critical race theory and uh, involving, you know, wonderment about communities that they might not have experience with that while there is validity on both sides is I've seen some of this extension go across, you know, bringing up these kinds of arguments across separate posts, across separate days, weeks, even months, that is efforts towards this cancel culture-esque type thing that serves to only make this problem even worse by creating even stronger echo chambers of we're only going to listen to people who think exactly like us. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is we get these factions of, you know, well, here's the group of like-minded people who sit over here, and here's the group of like-minded people who sit over here, and here's the people who are okay with microwaving fish in the office, and they're okay in their own <laughs> corner. But then it just makes it to where it's uninviting for anybody to have any kind of a dissenting opinion because, and this is particular to the internet groups that you brought up here at the beginning, Katie, internet culture is very, very low context and therapists are very, very high context people. This is a a sociological phenomenon that high context is understanding people, where they're coming from. You know, we spend years studying how to get the high context of our clients and we're used to communicating with people in this very, very high context sort of way. And then you, you get like one paragraph on a Facebook post to be able to try and explain something to somebody else. And it's just this very, really low context, like fast moving, 
group of people who kind of opt in and opt out, but aren't consistently there that makes it really enticing to pick on. Well, you're missing all of these high context things that just it, it's critical. And it's something that because of internet culture, therapists aren't used to having to receive information in that low context sort of way in embracing how we communicate online. In other words, <laughs> we think that we're really smart in some areas of our life and therefore all areas of our life should be really smart, but the internet is not that place. And the internet dumbs <laughs> us down. Well, it's interesting. And a moment ago, oh, I just lost my train of thought. You had said something a moment ago that I wanted I, to I, I do that to that people. He keeps seven talking. Seven minutes back, there was something in there. <laughs> <laughs> I just lost it. <laughs> Well, keep thinking, because I I had something, you know, a few minutes back when you were talking about your um, your experience as kind of an on the on the street social worker and having to overcome that self-imposed identity around if I am not so privileged, I don't feel guilty going to work. How right. did you work to overcome that? Because I think we're we're looking at being shamed for it. And, right. and you did it within that culture. Like, I, I know that. I, I would imagine you have probably been shamed for, for what you do as, you know, oh, kind yeah, of a six absolutely. figure flagship, even having that is so money focused. Title, so right. having that right. title. So and so actually, I think, how do you, how have you gotten through it? I guess. Yeah. And I can tell my story, but it's interesting because you just reminded me of what Kurt had said that I had wanted to comment on because it's all related. You had said Kurt and, and even Katie had said previously, there is this very narrow band of what yes. kind of therapists are willing to accept as appropriate. And because the echo chambers are loud and because the pile on culture is intense within therapist groups, what happens is people are terrified to speak. And so we end up with very, very milk toast messaging that doesn't challenge that doesn't potentially disagree. We end up with people who only want to message in ways that they will not be attacked for. Because as we all know, it's very painful and scary if someone's coming at you online, some stranger online and other people are piling on and everyone would love to avoid ever having that situation. So we dial down what is true, what is authentic, what is important. We dial it down into what we hope will fit this narrow little band of appropriateness. And it's interesting, like you asked for me, uh, it took me years and years. I mean, I eventually went from, we eventually moved my husband and I to a different town. I opened up a small private practice and it's funny. I was one of those therapists and I was in California where therapy rates are high, but I was the person where I was charging $90 an hour. Mm. And I was the person who said it like this, when a new client came in or called me and said, what's your fee? I went, well, it's 90, but I can slide. I can slide. What do you need? I mean, I can do whatever you need. I can really, I get whatever you need, whatever you need. Like that was me all the time yeah. because yeah. again, I was still carrying this guilt about even charging that much and feeling like, well, I couldn't even afford to go see me for therapy. So how can I think somebody else's? I was very much in my client's pockets. And what was really interesting was I had been in this office for a while. You know, I rented my time. Other people came in and out and there were several interns in the office, all supervised by this one supervisor 
And I was speaking with one of the interns when we were crossing paths one day. And at this point, I had been a licensed therapist for years. I had worked my way through community mental health up to being a program director. I had taught grad school. I had done all these things. And I was still charging this low rate because of my own internal money issues. And this intern, I don't know how we got on the subject, but she said, oh yeah, our supervisor. Now she was still in grad school. This is a person in her first year of grad school and intern seeing clients. And she said, well, our supervisor won't let us start any lower than 125 as our hourly rate. We're not allowed to slide under that. They were private pay 125 for the interns. And my mind was blown (laughs) that here I was with years of experience behind me, years of training behind me. And I, it really, in that moment hit me, I was like, I am doing this wrong. I am absolutely doing this (laughs) wrong and I need to start working on this. And some of it was working on my money mindset. Honestly, for me doing what I eventually did and wanting to outgrow the office, that was motivated by different things like we moved states and then I wasn't licensed for a year while I went through the relicensure process in a new state. So my path out of the office and outgrowing the office was sort of organic. It wasn't a pre-planned type of thing. It just happened that I moved into coaching and ended up loving it. But within the coaching world, you really, really get challenged very quickly on your financial mindset. And you really actually learn very quickly that the norm in the rest of the world is if you bring great value into someone's life, you are well paid for it. And we therapists continually underestimate the great, great, transformative, wildly important value that we bring into people's lives. And whether you choose to continue to do it in the context of therapy or to write a book or to go on a speaking tour or to do any of the number of things that therapists can go out in the world and do, we do by virtue of our passion, our education, all of these things, we bring great value. We bring about great transformation in people's lives. And in most of the rest of the world, that would be naturally richly rewarded. But because of sort of the culture, and I honestly think part of it is just the culture of how government even is set up, that we need to be able to have cheap labor to go out and work with the people who need help the most. And so many of us, like we said, started off in community mental health in some form or in schools, which were very underfunded. Just we start off as sort of cheap labor and it's hard to get out of that mindset that we should always remain just cheap labor or that what we do is not that highly valued in society where, of course, I don't know about you. I remember every therapist I've had and I remember them dearly. And they were hugely impactful at those times in my life. And every one of your clients and everybody out there listening, it's the exact same way. You're hugely yeah. impactful. You know, as I'm listening to this and going back to that piece by Anna Applebaum, she makes mention of the Scarlet Letter as kind of this, this parallel of what's going on with the illiberal left. And the thing about this is... One of that one of the major themes from the Scarlet Letter is the the priest who impregnates Hester. I, I'm forgetting his name right offhand, but mm-hmm. he is seen as more virtuous because his sermons have so much empathy from his own sins. That there, there's almost this parallel of what's going on with the groups here at, that, that we're seeing of like we have suffered this injustice and therefore we're better at what we do in relating to our clients because we've done this. 
and especially when it comes to things like privilege and fees and this kind of stuff, it's like, you're, you're not able to relate to your clients as well mm. because mm. you haven't done this suffering and you haven't done this. And therefore you must suffer in order to be able to be a better therapist. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting, isn't it? And so is some of that just coming down? Is that just back to that therapist guilt? We were talking just today. I had um, my meeting with my folks in my clinic coach, six figure flagship. And we were talking, there's one therapist. She's putting an unbelievable amount of work into an event that she's producing just probably hundreds of hours of her labor is going into this work. It's a passion project. She's so excited about it. And she came to the group and she said, I'm donating all the proceeds to charity. And I was like, Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And so we really, we took it apart a lot. Like we coached through it a lot in the group and today in our meeting. And I was like, you know, like part of this here is that we are also business owners. And when you put in hundreds of hours of unpaid labor on something, you actually need to retain at least the majority of your profits so that you can reinvest them into your own business so that you can stay afloat, have savings, have money for like all the things that we need to do. But really, to me, what I was hearing was therapist guilt, was I don't want it to look to anyone like I'm trying to actually make any money. I want it to look like out of the goodness of my heart, I'm putting on this big event for all my fellow therapists to learn and grow. But God forbid someone think I might earn money from doing this. Yeah. And so it's just, it was fascinating because I don't think there's any other profession where they would even consider for a minute giving every single bit of all this labor, all this unpaid labor straight to charity without a second thought. Teachers. Or maybe with many second thoughts, but feeling like this is what I should do. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I I think about teachers. I think about oftentimes nurses. Part of it is kind of feminized professions. Mm. Do you have this, this impact? Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Where the majority of the folks in those professions are non-male. And so... There is an expectation this is something we should be doing out of the goodness of our hearts. And it seems very mercenary if we would ask for money for it. You know, Mm -hmm. there are, you know, during the pandemic, these poor teachers were finally getting recognition for what they actually do for folks' kids. But as soon as, you know, even, even well into the pandemic, I started because I, I work with some teachers, I was started hearing that people were complaining that the teachers weren't doing enough. And we're paying their salaries and why aren't they doing enough? And it's like, whoa, Mm. you know, or if they go on strike, that is just heartless. It's heartless. And it's kind of like, would you work for the salary that they work for? And and we've seen the same with the the Kaiser therapist. That was one of the the things that happened. We see the same with nurses. uh, I I mean, our our episode uh, recently where we talked about, you know, let's just throw more Subway sandwiches at at therapists. Workforce shortage episode that we just put out. Yeah, it's just, it's throwing more Subway sandwiches at therapists because, you know, how dare you ask for money? And part of this is as a field that our median age is higher than many other fields. 
and mm-hmm. that anytime that we have a field that has rapidly changing social rules to it, it makes it to where, especially with fields that are older like ours, the entrenchment becomes a lot more rigid. And, and so I, I think that that's contributing to part of this too, is that hmm. there's, there's this almost cultural battle that we're facing within our field that is leading to a new identity. And if we're honest about it, we contribute to that a lot here in the podcast. We, we do call out <laughs> things that we don't like, including calling out other therapists, calling out other therapists. So <laughs> we, we do encourage you to let us know your thoughts and feelings on this publicly in any of the therapist groups. <laughs> but this happens systemically it happens individually as well and you know i i do see this happening outside of of the therapist groups and actually it is spilling over into in real life as well um hearing this you know from some of the practices hiring people where i think rightfully employees entering into the workforce are asking for living wages and it is a power balance shift that is leading to things like some of the workforce shortages that we talked about in the other episode. Let me ask you, Kurt, because as you were talking about sort of um, the field being a little bit older in terms of median age and whatnot, I wonder, and I'm curious, just either of your thoughts on this, do you feel like, so let's say you are whatever age you are really, but you're a therapist, you've kind of become acclimated to the 50K a year therapist average median income. You've kind of surrendered yourself to the fact that you have a very hard job that you can't talk to anyone about, that you are bound by ethics and confidentiality, that you don't get to come home and vent about your day. You have to keep a lot of things bottled up. And at the same time, you know, you're probably worried every month that if you have a $400 car bill this month, it's going to throw you over the edge. You're not going to have a cushion for that. And then you go into a therapist group and you see somebody who says, I charge 200 an hour in my area and I'm doing great and everything's fine. Do you think part of this backlash is just that feeling of threat that you can't do that or that you haven't chosen that or that you haven't gone to do whatever it is you need to do internally, whatever that sort of money work is that you need to do to actually start charging closer to your worth as an experienced person in the field. Absolutely. 100% think that a lot of where we socially prescribe other therapists to be comes from our own anecdotal histories and our inabilities to deal with our own crap when it comes to our relationships to money, our relationships to our professional identities that, and, you know, this even happens in things that I see like in law and ethics workshops that that I teach that it's not even just about money thing, but just how much we distance ourselves from other people who make mistakes. You know, if somebody's name shows up in, in the spider pages, the disciplinary actions, how quick we are to just like unfriend them or take them off of our LinkedIn connections. Mm even if it's something that might point closer to us, you know, you see this in in things like people who admit to not being caught up on their notes and just kind of the furthering away, you know, these are 
ethical and legal responsibilities that we have in our profession. And as compassionate people, we tend to have very little compassion for the other people in our profession when they don't do the same kinds of steps that we think that we should be doing or have been doing all along ourselves. So you're really saying jealousy, guilt, and shame. Yes. Self, because I, I think of like the, the, especially I think with the, the environment around you, Katie, which is like the six figure flagship, it's people outgrowing the office. It's that kind mm -hmm. of notion of very successful, you know, I'm going to make mm -hmm. a lot of money. I'm going to, I'm going to live a life. And, and you don't argue that that comes easily. I, I saw your post on kind of hustle seasons. And so I appreciate that. <laughs> but I think that there's this notion that you can work really hard, create something that's more sustainable and make a lot of money. And I think there's a jealousy there, either of mm -hmm. the energy that you personally have. I know I'm jealous of your energy. And then there's also <laughs> the, the, the success that people have. I think there's a jealousy there. And so then it's that kind of like, well, I didn't want it anyway. Like that, that's right, wrong because I right. don't think I can get it. I'm jealous that you have it. And so I don't really want it. And this, there's all of these moral reasons and moralizing around why I don't want it. I think what you're talking about, Kurt, is kind of this guilt and shame over I've been doing things wrong. I can't do that because it goes against these self-imposed values and morals that I've put around being a hard worker that is one of the people and I'm not going to, mm -hmm. I'm not in this for the money and I'm doing this because it's so valuable and even thinking about money is so mercenary and wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's that guilt and shame of wanting more but feeling like it goes against either the collective morals or the personal morals. And so to me, it's like, if we think about guilt, shame, and jealousy, I mean, the fact that there is so many of those emotions that come out in these public shreddings mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in, in these social media groups or, or on pages or, or whatever, like it just, it seems strange to me that therapists would, would have those in such huge, huge, impactful ways. It's interesting too, because I was just putting together a workshop where we talked about how typically the best therapists tend to have the worst imposter syndrome. And mm. I think imposter syndrome falls into what you were talking about. And the fact that because we all tend to be pretty intellectual, pretty academic, you know, even those of us who are super heart led, we all still have like our little academic streak. And I think that we all walk around with this belief that if I am not the top researcher in a particular field, I have yeah. nothing to say. It's very black and white. If yeah. I am not the absolute most published person in this particular theory, I should just sit down and shut up. I know nothing. As opposed to being able to see all the gradients, being able to see all of the expertise that everyone has and that you can bring and that could benefit so many more people if you were brave enough to kind of fight your own imposter syndrome, stand up, talk about what you know, help even more people that way. Yeah. But yeah. we get very caught in that because this will not win a Pulitzer, I might as well not even write it. I might as well not even try it. Might as well. What's the point? What's the point? And, and how dare you? other person that is doing yes. this. How dare you yes. do that? Because I've decided, even though I may have more knowledge than you, yes. that I'm not good enough to speak on it. So how dare you? How dare you? Exactly. Oh, isn't that so true? Mm -hmm. And I do think this is what we see 
play out in therapist groups. And I do think it's terribly sad because at the end of the day, to me, I always think the lay public are the only losers here. Because Mm -hmm. when you choose to not speak out, when you choose to not share what you know, when you choose to not be open and vulnerable in who you are and say, I know I might not be the world-renowned expert on XYZ, but let me tell you a little bit about what I do know because you might think it's interesting. And I think the thing a lot of therapists don't realize because we're sort of taught to write dissertation style for everything is that the average person doesn't want that. They do Mm -hmm. want the little tidbit. They do want the little micro snippet that you pulled from an interesting article you read that you couldn't get out of your mind yesterday. Share that. That's what they want too, because it'll get into their head too. And it'll help them in their life, just like it helped you. They don't need your full scope dissertation on anything. Yeah. So is the answer stop hanging out with other therapists? I don't know. Let's vote. Should we go around and vote? <laughs> you know, it's interesting though. You, I definitely think there's something that we talk about in our group is that we talk about how, when you, even when I, when I first started doing the most basic stuff, offering like copywriting for therapists, offering basic marketing for therapists in this tiny little way, like putting a post on Facebook, Hey, need help with your copywriting? You know, these tiny little ways I had rude people. I had critics. I had people I know going, well, that's never going to go anywhere. What are you even doing? Why are you doing that? And so I just warn all my students, like anytime you are going against the grain a little bit, breaking the mold a little bit of what it means to be a helping professional. Cause what I believe at the end of the day is what you call it doesn't matter as much as what you're actually doing. Are you out Mm -hmm. there helping people in some form? Is your internal calling to be out there helping people in some form? Great. Are you doing it? If you are, and if you feel good and authentic, and you know that you are living out your calling, that you are truly helping people in some form, does it matter if you call it therapy today? And maybe tomorrow it's consulting and you have consulting clients. And maybe the next day you uh, build an online course where you help people. And maybe you go speak at a school the next day. Does it matter what form it's in that you're helping people as long as you are authentically helping people, what you are called to do? Does the name matter? So you can hang out with the therapist like that, Kurt. I hear you saying that hanging out with therapists who have that broader perspective that aren't so tied into the Puritan culture is probably helpful for folks that are really coming, that are, are pushing against the grain in some way. And, and I really, I resonate with that because I think that's, that's why we found each other. That's what and you've done, right? Yeah. And well, so and that's I think what you guys have been doing. We've been trying, you know, we don't, we don't avoid the purity culture. We just try to push back against it. But I think it's, it's something where when you're really trying to step out and help people in a bigger way, it is, it is important that you find the right people to spend time with because you can get tamped down by purity culture. You can't. Well, and I should say this, like for a lot of us, I know for me, when I was, I think it is important for therapists to do money work on ourselves, go read the self-help books, go, you know, sign up with Tiffany. Go do your own research. Go do it. Exactly. (laughs) I think it's important to do that. And I think it's important to hang out with people who get it and have done it. And I think for all of us too, there is a way that you can feel good about what you charge and feel good about what you give back. And that, that is going to be different for everyone, whether it's that Mm -hmm. you do a couple free or cheap sessions every single week, or you give a certain amount to charity every year, like whatever that looks like for you, you can still set this up in a way where you're not going to feel like a greedy bastard 
for earning a good living where you still know that you are. I mean, for me, when I started outgrowing the office, honestly, my entire motivation was security. My husband worked at a large multinational corporation that was doing layoffs, rolling layoffs every single month. And every single month, it felt like we were going to be any minute we were going to be homeless because he was going to get laid off. And that was the bread and butter of the family. And what then? And all I really wanted was some security. And so that drove me. And and I was, like I said, we had moved states. And so I didn't have a license in my new state. I couldn't just go open a therapy office. It drove me to get creative and do something else. But I think when your motivation comes from that, I I don't know a lot of therapists who are like, I'm going to go get rich so that I can have seven Maseratis. Like, it's just not... (laughs) who we are, you know, like that's just not what we're doing here. (laughs) Well, we, we do have to end here, but, but I think we also, if there is a therapist that wants to get rich to get seven Maseratis, go for it. If you want seven Maseratis, go for it. it. (laughs) Um, So before we close up, where can people find you? Six figureflagship.com is the main program that we run right now. It's an application only program for mental health therapists who do want to outgrow the office. That is the best place to find me. And otherwise I'll just be kind of hanging out with you guys. I I love it. Always (laughs) excited. We'll include a link to Katie's website in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com and follow us on our social media. Join our Facebook group, the modern therapist group. And we will shame you. We will. We actually have a really (laughs) good group that seems to. No, I said, we'll shame them for not joining it. If they don't, (laughs) we'll find them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we will post those links. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhound with Katie Vernoy and Katie Reed. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 